0: Parashas Nitzavim appropriately enough for this time of the year contains an extensive discussion of tshuva of repentance. The beginning of the parasha is really a continuation of last week's parasha we had the tochecha, all the biblical disasters that are going to befall the Jewish people if they do not follow if they do not follow the Torah and the mitzvahs. At the beginning of this week's parasha as well in Nitzavim the Torah talks about the epically biblical description of there will be sulfur and salt that will burn the whole land people will say what happened here and the answer will be because the people abandoned the ways of Hashem and so on and then later in the parasha the Torah says but all these things that the Torah foretells will befall you You will reconsider. You'll turn, or you'll 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 set forth in your heart, possibly from the language of tshuva. From all the places of your exile, you will return to Hashem, your God. You'll once again obey Him etcetera, then Hashem will return to you, Hashem will reciprocate, Vishava, he'll, he'll 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 return you, he'll bring you back, he'll he'll ingather the exiles, wherever you are, he'll bring you back, etc., etc., Instead he'll bring the curses on your enemies. And again the Torah says the Hashem, and you will return. You will from now on you will obey the, the the commands of Hashem and so on and so on. Hashem will Hashem will make things good for you. Make you abundant in in the in your your children, the, the animals will have children, free admasacha, the land will give forth uh, produce. Everything will be good. Again, Hashem will, language of returning again, Hashem will once again return to rejoice in you. All this will happen. All this will happen if you, when, if once again you will obey the, the voice of Hashem. Because when you shall return to Hashem your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So, repeated references both on our part, vishavta, v'ata sashuv, vashivosa, ki sashuv, repeated references to the language of returning. Hashem uses parallel language, Hashem will return to you. After that, the Torah says, ki azos, because this mitzvah, which mitzvah? Not entirely clear, but this mitzvah, that I'm commanding you today, Hashem says It's not uh, it, It's not uh, It's not Niflase, it's not covered, removed, Hidden from you, not far from you It's not in heaven It's not across the sea Rather, It's close to you, it's, you know, you're, you're able to do this The Ramban there, There's a major machlox we showed him here How to understand this entire parasha the Ramban understands that, that, that we're talking about the mitzvah of tshuva. When the Torah concludes, ki mitzvah hazo, this mitzvah, which mitzvah are we talking about? Mitzvah hazo, specifically this mitzvah means the mitzvah of tshuva. And that is what the Torah meant when it, when it says earlier, v'hashev osayel levavecha, v'shavtaad hashem That that is a mitzvah. The hashem is saying, you shall return, even though it's written in the future tense, but the Ramban understands the Torah really means to use the imperative voice. The Torah is really telling you you shall do tshuva. Hashem is commanding us that if we slip and we and we act badly, we, we are, we are ordered to return to a Hu. It's a mitzvah that he commands us to return. Even though again it's written grammatically in the future tense. So the Ramban says, because it's also a havtacha, It's also a it's also a, a promise an assurance that it, it, it will it will turn out okay. Hashem is assuring us we will eventually do tshuva, but also it is a. But it's a tshuva. It's also a tshuva, and and that's why Hashem says because this I'm commanding you to do it. It's not impossible. It's, it's doable. Here, mitzvah This mitzvah of tshuva is something you can do, and it's uh, and and, that, and that's what Hashem is saying that the you are commanded to do tshuva. So the Ramban counts tshuva as a mitzvah. The, the, that tshuva is a tremendous, tremendous thing. It enables us to start with a clean slate, to erase our sins, to avoid, to, to avoid uh, the, full, the full brunt of God's wrath. Tshuva is a, is a wonderful, tremendous gift, as we say in Slichos, as Chazal tells us, a wonderful gift. But in addition to being a gift, it's also a mitzvah. It's also a, it's also a demand. The like Kosh Baruch Hu demands that if we fall short, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, Hashem commands us to do tshuva. Rambam apparently disagrees. Rambam understands that the tshuva in this parasha is—it is talking about tshuva, but it's talking—it's it's a promise from Hashem. It's an ensure—it's an assurance by Hashem that we will do tshuva, but it's not apparently a mitzvah. The Rambam writes that Torah in the in the Hilchas Tshuva. Rambam has an entire section in his Mishnah Torah on tshuva. Rambam writes there the Torah has assured us, has promised us, Shasof Yisrael lass tshuva that the Jews eventually will do tshuva, at the end of the gullahs and then they'll be immediately redeemed, when all these terrible things befall you, then you will return to Hashem, Hashem will return to you, and will return you from exile, so the Rambam explains that this pasuk is a havetacha, it's a promise, it is not a, uh, not a mitzvah, and indeed the Rambam does not, the, the Rambam's language is tricky, this time of the year, in, in the yeshiva world, there are many, many shiurim and Hilchah's tshuva. My yeshiva my Mayor Stern, used to give a whole series of tshuva shiurim and other Russian yeshivas do this. It's a very popular topic, trying to uh, parse the Rambam's Hilchah's tshuva. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it's an interesting intellectual exercise, philosophical exercise, but Rambam, in, in, in most of his language on the topic of tshuva, does not seem to consider tshuva, per se, a mitzvah. Rambam does have a mitzvah to say, vidui. But does not have a mitzvah to do tshuva per se. In the Sefer of mitzvahs, when he, when he lists the mitzvah of vidui, he says, Hashem has commanded us, al haavonos v'al he has commanded us to say vidui to confess our various types of sins. We should say vidui along with tshuva. The Rambam carefully avoids saying that it's a mitzvah to do tshuva. He says, there's a mitzvah to say vidui when you do tshuva, but the mitzvah seems to be vidui. And the Rambam does not derive the mitzvah from our parasha; he derives the mitzvah from other psokim, It says, "Dabriel bnei Yisrael," back in Chumash Mamidbar Midbar, "Dabriel bnei Yisrael Isho Isha, ki yasim mikol chatos <laughs> mikol chatos chatos adam veizvadu." What masharasu? The Torah tells us vadu <laughs> When a person brings a carbon, he they were talking about a carbon. The Rambam brings midrashim that extend extend the chiyav of vidui outside the context of carbon. But the Rambam count does have a mitzvah. But according to the Rambam, the mitzvah is vidui. He mentions chuva in passing, that vidui is said in the context of tshuva, but according to the Rambam, the ikar mitzvah seems to be vidui and not tshuva. In the introduction to tshuva, before, the, before, before every section in Mishnah Torah, the Rambam has a brief introduction where he, where he lists which mitzvahs of the Torah, which of the 613 mitzvahs are, are associated with these halachas. So before he begins tshuva, he does seem to suggest that tshuva is a mitzvah. The Rambam writes, mitzvah say achas, the laws of tshuva, involve one mitzvah, a person shall return to Akash Baruch Hu from his sin and say vidui. But when, when the Rambam actually counts the mitzvah, he, again, he says the mitzvah is vidui, not tshuva. He says, any, any mitzvah from the Torah, positive, negative commandment, if a person violates any one of them, b'mezid, b'shogig, Kissei Chuva Tshuva VYashem Echeto. When he does chuva and returns to Hashem from his sin, Chayev Vados. So again, the Chiyuv of the mitzvah is defined in terms of Vidui, the act of making a verbal confession. Again, he brings the pasuk in Bamidbar, Isha Isha Kiyasu, Yasu Bhis Vados Chatas Ma Asu Zev Vidui Varm Vidui Zem Mitzvazase Vidui Zem Mitzvazase. How do you say Vidui? Omer Ana Hashem Chatas Yavisi Pashati LaFanecha. You confess to Hashem that you have, uh, you implore Hashem that you have done various types of sins. Vasisi kach vakach, chamti. I regret it, uboshti, I'm embarrassed about what I did, I will never return to this terrible affair. So the Rambam's focus is almost entirely on vidui. He says, of course, that vidui is done in the context of tshuva. But according to the Rambam, the mitzvah is vidui. Even though, again, in, 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 the, in the introduction, in one place he does say the mitzvah is, is tshuva, but the focus of the Rambam in most of his discussion is the mitzvah is vidui, is the verbal confession, and he derives it from Psukim and Vamidra. He does not bring the Psukim and ar-parsha, as we mentioned earlier. Psukim and ar-parsha, he says, are an assurance. Hashem is assuring us things will work out in the end. You will do tshuva. Hashem predicts many things in the Torah. What will happen in the future? but our, pasuk, our, our of, of tshuva are not a mitzvah that is simply the way things will turn out tshuva, the Rambam does not seem to think is the primary mitzvah the primary mitzvah is vidui. that is how the Rambam learns similarly, the Sefer HaChinuch Sefer HaChinuch has his count of the Tariq mitzvahs he follows very closely the Rambam he writes that tshivuy is the commandment is Hashem, to, to utter the vidui before Hashem on all sins that we do when we have charata, when we do tshuva, then, then the mitzvah is to say vidu. Again, the Iker mitzvah seems to be the Iker mitzvah seems to be the vidu, and not the tshuva. The, so there is discussion about that, both in the Rambam and the Chinuch, that uh, it's always a mitzvah, it's a particular mitzvah of Yom Kippur. The Chinuch, when, when he finishes, I'm not going to get into the details of this question, I didn't prepare that aspect of the topic, but the Chinuch, at the end of his discussion, in the end of every mitzvah, the Chinuch explains what you have to do to violate it, what you would have to do to be mevatel the mitzvah, to be over the Avera. He writes, al zev If someone, if you don't do vidy for a day, for a week, you haven't yet been mevatel the mitzvah, it's good to do vidy right away. The Gemara says you should do tshuva every day, you don't know when you'll die. Consider every day the possible day of your death. But, but the Chinuch says, when, you, when do you, you consider to have actually violated the mitzvah? If you haven't done it by Yom Kippur, if you haven't done it on Yom Kippur, then you have been mevatel the mitzvah. Woe is to a person who actually goes so far as to die without doing vidui? Yes, yeah, so you you, apparently you have not been mevatel the mitzvah if you don't do vidui tokei dibur. But by the time Yom Kippur comes around, you, you you have to do vidui, and if you don't, you're in a mitzvah, and you're really in trouble if you haven't done vidui by the time you die. that's a different. they do it every day. Oh right, they, as part of tachrum, Nusach Sephard has the has a daily vidui. Ashkenaz does not do that, right? We we do it during uh, slichos, during uh, during during Yom Kippur, but we, we we don't do it on a daily basis, right? Okay, the Kenoch has a long discussion about this about the. He, he he struggles at great length to understand the Rambam shita. What the relationship of tshuva and vidui is, why the focus in the mitzvah is always on the Vidu, not the Chuva. So there's a lot of as I said, a lot of lumdush, a lot of theoretical discussion on the exact relationship between vidui and Chuva according to the according to the Rambam. The bottom line, it's somewhat of an academic question. Clearly, Vidu without chuva is not uh, is meaningless. The the, the Gemara says. The Gemara says, if a person has the temerity to do but does not actually do tshuva, we, have, uh, we have an analogy to a person who holds a sheretz. A sheretz is a, is a, dead, uh, a dead, creeping animal, which is one source of Tumah. He holds it and he goes to the mikvah. Even if he goes to all the water in the world, all the mikvahs in the world, you can't do that. You're holding the sheretz. You're your, your Tameh. You can't, you can't be tar while you're holding the sheretz. Here as well, as long as you're doing the avera, you haven't uh, you haven't done chuva, you're, you're you're still you're, you're still uh, you're still comfortable with avera. You're still doing the avera. That's not that's not the vidu is worthless. However, Once you throw, cast away the sherets, go to the mikvah and you're done. Same thing with chuva. As long as you're still doing the avera, there's no such thing as vidui. But once you once uh, you once you once you abandon the avera, uh, once you abandon the and you're choser, then it's possible to do vidui and, and then uh, then you can get a, then you can get a kapara it brings Apasuki in Mishlei, who modevze Yerucham, he who abandons uh, he he he's modi, he does vidri, but also Vozev. Also he has to abandon the avera. then he'll be Hashem will have compassion on him and will accept his tshuva. Also, Nisel Venu al-Kapayim al-Kel Bashamayim, that, that that you have to you have to lift up your heart. It's not enough to simply mouth words of vidri to do outwards to do outward signs of, of penitence. You have to actually have contrition, you have to actually do chuva. And mere vidui is not sufficient. The Rambam himself explains what is tshuva. The Rambam asks the question directly: What is tshuva? Rambam says a very classic definition: Tshuva is shiyaza cheto. First of all, you have to abandon your sins. You have to stop doing the sin, not just stop doing it, bapoeil, not just to actually not do the sin. The me machshavto, you have to remove the sin from your from your thoughts. The Belibush The person has to come to a firm determination, never to do it again. round brings another pasuk in Yeshaya: Yazo Darko has to abandon his evil way. Not only do you have to abandon what you're doing and determine not to do it again, you also have to have remorse. Al You have to regret what you've done. After I return, I also have, I also have nechama, meaning in this sense, meaning I have uh, regret, I have, I have a change, of, a change of heart about what I did. your He has to accept the, he has to accept, and and, and that, that the he who knows the the secrets of one's heart, he has to accept as an aid upon himself, a witness against himself. That Hashem can say he'll never do it again. We, we will never again call the work of our hands our idols, God. And then he has to utter a verbal is all these things. video is I have done it. I will not do it again. I feel deeply regretful for what I've done and I'm not doing it anymore, and that's Vidu. So vidui is the, the capstone of Chuva, Vidu is the verbalization of all the elements of tshuva, but chuva as a whole includes all these elements of aziva sachet, the, the classic three elements of that you regret what you've done, aziva sachet, uh, you're, you're no longer doing it, you're no longer even thinking about doing it, and Kabbalah you've, you asid you have reached a firm commitment to never doing it again. So again, the Ramam says, this is tshuva, Tshuva. The mitzvah is to accompany tshuva with vidui. For some reason, the Rambam generally does not define tshuva as the mitzvah per se, but tshuva is supposed to be accompanied with vidui. But what gives you the kapara? The Rambam called, after all, the Rambam called his entire hilchas tshuva. He called it hilchas tshuva, not hilchas vidui. The, the Rambam talks over and over about the great benefits of tshuva. The, 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 that tshuva has wonderful benefits. It's machaper. It protects you from. It protects you from from punishment, it it makes you considered once again beloved and close to a Baruch Hu the tshuva is a wonderful thing but in terms of the actual mitzvahs I say and this is what the Menchaz and the contemporary Rashi Yeshiva spend so much time discussing for some reason when it comes to the definition of the mitzvah the Rambam focuses the the definition of the mitzvah itself on vidui. but vidui is the the part and the culmination of tshuva that a person regrets a person stops doing the chayit a person commits himself to never do it again and then he declares all these things in the vidui, and that is the that is the system of Tshuva and vidui, according to the Rambam same thing we saw in the Chinook before he says how do you say vidui? you say I've done these sins I'm never going to do it again these are all the elements of Tshuva that you say in the vidui, and that is the idea of vidui and Tshuva according to the Rambam and the Chinook as we noted, this is based on the Gemara. The Gemara says that certainly doing vidui without uh, without abandoning the chid, without harata, is tovel v'sheretz biado. The the Gemara says that, <laughs> that you have to be modev ozev, you have to be choserbo, you have to be el, el, el kapayim. And moreover, the Gemara says that the Gemara talks about this is all in the Tanis, where it talks about how when they didn't have rain, they had to fast. They had communal fasting with. With with all kinds of manifestations of tshuva, it says that 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 somebody would uh, somebody would exhort the crowd. They they would have a mussar Somebody would say, "Acheinu, my brothers." He would say, "Losak It's not the sackcloth and the fasting that will bring about uh, reconciliation with the Kosh Baruch Hu, that will atone for our sins. Chuva Tovum What really counts, what really makes a difference, is tshuva. Yes, we are fasting. The, the entire mesecta is called tanis. It's not called tshuva. So tanis is important and there are elaborate halachas, but you have to understand that tanis is a means of doing tshuva. It's not a it's not a uh, it's not the the, the the it's not the what's actually machap. But a very famous uh, inference from the language of Sefer Yonah. Where the people of Ninveh famously did tshuva. they're one of the great paradigms for tshuva. It says they fasted and they put sackcloth on the people and the animals, and it says that Hashem saw that they were doing tshuva, and Hashem decided not to destroy the city. The Pazik says, <laughs> Hashem saw their, their actions that they did tshuva. The, the Gemara says, it doesn't say Hashem saw Essachem it doesn't say he saw the sackcloth and the fasting. Hashem saw everything, obviously, but when it talks about what he saw that was of crucial significance, it was not the sackcloth and the fasting. He saw what they, their actions, which was their tshuva and masim tovim, and that's why the people were, were, were told on, on a public fast in, in Israel, lo is garmim. it is not the, the sackcloth and the fasting, rather it is tshuva masim tovim gormim. And as we saw, the Rambam the says that this is tshuva, tshuva is the, the tshuva, is tshuva itself, it's not penance, it's not self-mortification, tshuva is tshuva. Elsewhere, the Rambam does say, when he lists what he calls various habits and practices that are often accompanied, accompanied tshuva, changing your name, and he says, one of the things is, you go to Golos, you exile yourself as a form of penance. Golos is Machaper, the Rambam says, Golos provides atonement. That is something associated with Tshuva, just as fasting is associated with Tshuva. But that's not the Iker Tshuva, that, that's not the fundamental Tshuva. The fundamental Tshuva is the remorse, abandoning the hate, doing better in the future, and saying Vida. This point is made in a famous and fascinating tshuva of the Nod de we'll, we'll discuss the context of the tshuva in more detail presently. But the Nod Bihuda makes exactly this point explicitly. He says, Be'emes, he says, Ein hatanis davar fasting is ancillary, it's secondary to tshuva itself. It's important, it's, it's useful, but it's, it, you shouldn't mistakenly think that, that the ikar is the fasting. It's davr tafel, it's ancillary. The Ikara tshuva, fundamentally, primarily, what is tshuva? Who has abandoning the chet, like the Rambam says, vidui verbal confession, balev nishbar with a broken heart, charata balev shalem, wholehearted remorse. His karvos veslavos leiv abore, coming closer to Hashem, passionately to love. Baruch Hu. The tshuva, she Hashem You have to return to Hashem. It's not about the external manifestations, and Hashem will show compassion to you. The Yashav Hashem, what does it mean to return Tashem? I to cleave Tashem. Aval other things, tanis, visigufim, fasting and practices of self mortification mortification, anum ikrim are not the are not the, the are not the primary primary aspects of true. The context of this, of this comment, which again is classic uh, classic Jewish theology, echoing the Rambam, the Gemara, that the Iker Chuva is the abandoning of the hate, Kabbalah al-Asid, Vidoy, Harata. This idea of the Nod Bihuda occurs in a very long and uh, remarkable chuva. The case was a, a man, he was a Bantara, at least now, he was a Talmud Chacham and a, a pious individual. He had done a terrible thing he had had an illicit relationship with a married woman for several years, for a period of several years this had gone on this affair, three years now he has done tshuva he's apparently on a better path now he's, he's completely abandoned and rejected this terrible thing he's done he actually was, uh, was he actually eventually married this, this woman's daughter and he actually uh, is now part of the family but he wanted to know that the Icarus, he had two questions to know to be huge one question was, does he have to tell the husband what happened, his father-in-law now, and that, that he has sinned with his wife, and B, can the Nod Behuda help prescribe for him a, a course of tshuva? So much of, the, much of the tshuva of the response from the Nod Huda is about the question of does he have to tell the, the father-in-law? This is something which is discussed heavily by the Akron. He's one of the earliest tshuvas on the topic. This was discussed heavily for the next two centuries, whether a person guilty of adultery is obligated to confess to the husband, whether the the paramour has to confess to the husband, whether the woman herself is mukhiyah to confess to the husband, whether a rabbi or third party who was told about this in confidence has to disclose this to the husband. So that's an extensively discussed question. There, there are all kinds of arguments for or against, and we're not going to get into that topic tonight. Yes? I mean, if it does, have to divorce her. So yes, the, the one reason to tell would be because if the husband knows what happened, he would have to divorce the woman. So the question is should he tell? Would he be believed? Should the husband believe him? Is there any point in telling? So yeah, that that that, that that's that's a lengthy uh, and he, and maybe he has to tell us part of his chuvah to ask Mechila for what he's done. Okay. But that that's a uh, that that's a that's an, a heavily debated topic. We're not gonna focus on that tonight. We're gonna focus on the second half of the b'ihuda, which was he asked to prescribe a course of chuva. Now what does that mean? We know what chuva is. The says at Chuva, Asid, and Why do we need Nodbi Huda for that? Gemara says, lo, lo, it's not the tanis and the sack, it's chuvan tovim. So what's the question? What did this person want from the Yehuda? So the answer is this is a, a, this is a very interesting, curious development in Jewish history. For many centuries, beginning in the medieval period from the Hasidic Ashkenaz, the 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 the, the 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 Pietists in, in Germany from, and for many centuries subsequent to that there were there was a concept of tshuva samishkal, beginning with Rabbi Yehoshua Rokeach, the, the Rokeach, and, and and his successors. There was a doctrine that it's not enough to do azivasachet and vidur the classic forms of tshuva. A person is obligated to do tshuva samishkal to accept penance and self mortification in order to get a kapar. This was typically done for fairly serious errors. It wasn't not necessarily for uh, you. Know, for talking during Khazar Sashat, I mean, I don't mean to say that's a minor Avera, but the point is, the, the chuvists we have on this topic who discuss this we're typically talking about what we would consider uh, very serious Averas. Manslaughter was a common one. We, we've discussed in Shurim recently people who were guilty of accidentally killing people, mothers who killed their children in, in sleep, or people who discharged firearms and killed a bystander. Other types of cases involving people who sent uh, who sent their servants on dangerous errands and they got killed. Different Jews weren't usually guilty of cold-blooded murder; it seems premeditated, deliberate murder. But all kinds of cases of manslaughter, where there was some, where there may have been some element of negligence involved. Many of the tshuvas deal with that or sexual transgressions like this noda Someone had done a terrible avera. Again, you know, not just you know walking in a place where women were not dressed properly, but a serious avera of of an illicit sexual relationship. And this is often where Poskim discussed samishkol, the idea that a person has to accept on, upon himself grievous, yes, serious uh, penance, serious self-mortification to atone for the, the terrible Aveira that he did. And for many centuries, beginning in the medieval period, among the Chesidah Ashkenaz, going on for centuries until relatively recently, until the 18th, 19th century, this was fairly common. This was a standard thing. A person did an Aveira, He would consult Rabbanim, gedolei Torah, and he would ask them, I've done a terrible avara, can you please prescribe tshuva for me in order to, uh, that, that I might be atoned and be reconciled with the Kosh We don't really do this today much, at least not in the circles in which I move. We are a uh, gen- softer and gentler generation. We don't fast as much as they used to. They had all kinds of voluntary fasts and, uh, and so on. We rarely do that today. Uh, Post can often use the language, we're not as strong as they used to be. We're obviously healthier and have better medical care, but I guess the point is we're softer. When, when, when you starved every other day anyway, you were just used to going without food, and a voluntary fast, you were just used to it, so a voluntary fast was easier to do without being so disruptive, I guess, today. We're used to uh, eating and having uh, good nutrition and food whenever we want, and it's much harder for us to fast. but it, And similarly, with penances, we don't do that. They lived in a tougher, grimmer culture. We don't do this anymore. It's a fascinating historical question, how this started, uh, when, when exactly this stopped, with did it start, with were there influences of cultural assimilation? Did, did this come from other cultures? But be that as it may, this was, this was an idea that was promulgated by Gidoli Harishonim, and it was accepted more or less enthusiastically or grudgingly by the Akronim. And again, it fell out of favor relatively recently, but for many centuries, this was the assumption that if a person did a serious havera, he would have to accept a seriously rigorous form of tshuva. What else? So what kind of things did they accept? We'll, 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 we'll study the Chuva Tzad in a little more detail soon. Fasting was one big one. They often had things involving not sleeping on bed, sleeping on the floor. Even when they weren't fasting, they accepted restrictions like no, no eating meat or wine, no going to parties, not wearing jewelry, some of the posts have said with women, and not wearing jewelry, uh, lots, of, you know, lots of prayer and vidui and, and crying and so on. Tadaka, as we'll see tzedakah, we, we still do today, So we, we, we say in tshuva, tfilo tzedakah, maverinus, raag, zera, but a variety of these penances, but the common ones were the ones we just said, fasting, abstemiousness more generally, not sleeping, gullus, exiling, going into exile, and not sleeping using the regular things, and so the Nod was asked to prescribe a course of tshuva, of this type of tshuva, for this person. Now the Nod Bihuda was was a noted uh, Talmudic fundamentalist, so to speak. I don't mean that in a bad way, but the point was he had very little patience for aspects of Jewish culture which did not have a clear source in the Talmud. In a number of his chuvas he was asked about practices or menhagim, ideas that were well-established in Judaism but didn't have a clear Talmudic source, and he expressed his great uh, agitation. It's very hard for me to discuss things that don't have a Talmudic source. Uh, all of our Torah comes from the Talmud dealing with things like Rehudah Hasid or other things. He, part of his issue was, of course, that he was uh, he, he lived uh, he lived in the aftermath of Shab Tzvi. Anything that didn't have a clear Talmudic source, he was deeply suspicious of as being uh, religiously, theologically dubious. We'll see that point in this tshuva as well. But he, he didn't like discussing things that didn't have a clear source in the Talmud. And when they asked him for this Cedar uh, of Chuva, he says, so he says, it's a very difficult question you're asking me, he says, He said, I'm not accustomed to answering questions about things that I don't have a source in the Gemara and Postkim. We don't find, he says, anything in the Talmud about formal, specific courses of fasting to do. It's true, we do find that fasting is associated with tshuva. Sukim say that, tshuva wa daib The idea that fasting is associated with tshuva, it should be the impulse of the person to generally speaking to fast, is true. But these types of rigorous lists of forty fasts, of this many this and that, that kind of thing is 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 has no source in in, in Tanakh and, and in Gemara. He said, you find it in the Sifrei. Musa, he says in the Sifrei Achuva, he has a kind of uh, a, a little bit of uh, dismissive attitude toward these Sfarim. Rov de'Ram, well, more than a little bit dismissive. Rov de'Ram, Benuyim al Sfaros Kresios Most of what they say are built on what we would call baich Sfaros, uh, just speaking out of their hat without any uh, shorash and, and rigorous halachic sources. One safer builds on the other one without any real source and uh, an authoritative source. We find lots of chumras, lots of kulas. It's all very difficult, he says, as, as, as a Talmudist, as a classically trained Talmudist. It's very difficult, he says, for me to uh, give you, for, to enter into this discussion. He says, you're a Talmud Kachim, he says. The, the questioner was, Don't go look at the and yourself and figure out what you want to do, he says. However, he says you're you're urging me to answer you, so I feel like I have to discuss, I have to dis- enter the matter somewhat, and he goes on for quite a while discussing uh, what he thinks the person should do. So he says, first of all, this person is weak, and he, he didn't really have the strength to do all kinds of uh, to do all kinds of uh, all kinds of serious chews a mishkal. He says and furthermore he says if you really want to do a proper tshuva Mishkal mishkol means weight means balance that whatever the, the amount of avera the amount of pleasure and avera you did you have to balance it out by, by penance he did this for three years he says so who knows how many times he did avera he says he, he says if you lived as long as mishushela you wouldn't have enough time to do a proper tshuva mishkol if you rigorously follow the Sefer HaRokeh Lamaise well, nice, says Rokeh is an authoritative source Rakech, or Releaz really HaRokeh was a great uh, halachist among the Rishonim and he says Ein dvar ha-chronim. I might be a little dismissive toward the later farm he says but the Rokeh is someone who I have a lot of respect for he says he says that uh, that yeah, there is a source that says if you do it three times for, 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 that there's a cap of three times doing that error that's enough he says where does that come from, he says? How many times do you do Avera? Once you do enough chuvis and mishkal for three Averas, that's enough. Where does that come from, he says? The person did an Avera that has malchus. He did it 20 times, and he got 20 Hasros. Is there a cap at three? There's no cap, he says. It doesn't work like that. So there's no Makar for such a thing. So he goes on in various aspects of this question. So he says, really, if you want to follow the Rukach, if you want to do a proper chuvis and Mishkal, then you're done, he says. There, 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 there's no limit. You're never going to be done. However, he says, and this is where the passage I read before comes, comes in, he says, this is all, I, we'd have to really worry about doing proper Chuva and if it was really the case that tshuvas was an essential part of Chuva. if fasting and self-mortification was an essential aspect of chuva. But it's not, he says, it's not. We said the ikr Chuva is harata, charata, azivisachet, lev nishparvanitke, returning to Akash Baruch cleaving to Akash Baruch that's real chuva. These other things, he says, are not the real chuva. And these other things are ancillary to tshuva, he says. And so, so what should he do, he says. So Lamaisa, what does he recommend? He says, also he already has tremendous charata, shiver and rucho. He, he, he's very pious in other aspects of his conduct now, and he's a tremendous masmid. He learns very, he learns Torah, a great deal of Torah. He says, so what should he do, Lamaisa, he, he says. He says, I'm willing to be lenient, he says, with regard to the fasting and the penance. I'm willing to be lenient because of all these arguments, he says. But putter below klumi I'm not going to obligate him in a full chuvas mishkal, but I can't let him go with nothing. His idea of not nothing is, uh, I think, most of us would find extraordinarily rigorous. He says, What What will I tell him to do? He says, The Ikaris, that's what there's a Torah, uh, that, that he, he toils in Torah. However, he says he should learn proper Torah, Mishnah, Omek, with Pshat, Poshkim, Tanakh, Musar, he says, and so on. But uh, he says what he should not do is he shouldn't do the modern tefillahs, he says. Other that are chadash and Mikarov, he was very suspicious of all new liturgy, all new rituals as possibly Sabbatean, as heterodox. Don't do the new stuff, stick to the classic stuff. Tehillim is wonderful, he says. Um, he says And since, and since he's, a, he's a weak person, he says, and he has a tremendous hasmat as Torah, he's weak, he can't really do a lot of fasting to begin with, and he learns a great deal of Torah and the fasting would interfere with his Torah. So therefore I'm going to be very lenient, I'm going to be batanios What am I going to tell him to do? So in the summary he says, when it's very hot, like Tammuz In the summary he says he should In the summary says he should only fast He should only fast uh, only on Erev Rosh The rest of the summer he should fast every week only one day Except for Elul, where he should fast every week two or three times Depending on his strength as tshuva, he should fast every day, meaning uh, during the day and eat at night. In the winter, he says, where it's not so hot, you can tolerate fasting. You don't get dehydrated, I guess, and the days are shorter. From the beginning of Cheshvan, he says, until Chodesh Nisan, so Cheshvan, uh, Cheshvan, Kislev, Teve, Shvad, Adar, he says, five months, he should fast every week, three days, and one of those three days should be 24 hours, Laila V'yom. He should do this for three years, three consecutive years. And if, he, uh, and if he does, he gets up at Chatzos, um, that, that's also good, he says. He, sh- he shouldn't pass Chatzos by sleeping, and he should uh, stay up, uh, engage in spiritual, pr- spiritual pursuits till the morning. He doesn't have to stand up, it says, Omei. he doesn't have to stand, he can sit, he says, but he shouldn't be mavatel from Torah and Tehillim from Chatzos until the morning. Then he can be makil somewhat in the fast days, and he can only fast two days a week in the winter. So this is his idea of being makil in fast days. Don't fast too much during the summer. Not more than erev Shabbos. The rest of the summer fast. Uh, the rest of the summer, he says, the 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 rest of the summer, he says, you fast one day a week. In the winter, you fast three days a week. One of them, twenty four hour slot. And if you do a lot of getting up at chazzos and staying up the rest of the night, then you can fast only two days a week in the winter. He says. And other sigu from he says uh, he he doesn't sleep on beds. He says. He should avoid uh, levity. He should avoid partying. He says, he should uh, he should avoid women. He says he should he, for three years. He says during the week he shouldn't drink wine or alcohol or any hot drinks. He says and on Shabbat maybe he could drink wine and alcohol, but during the week he shouldn't drink any wine or alcohol. Just tea with sugar, a little bit of coffee sometimes. He says, um, and so on and uh, and so on. Good. He says after three years. He says he has some other prescriptions as well. After three years, the first three years, he says. In the next three years, he should fast in the winter, Monday and Thursday. And in the summer, he should fast, uh, according to the earlier plan. In the second year, he can sleep on beds again. And for the rest of his life, he should fast in the winter every week, one day. And in the summer, (laughs) Erev Rosh that My sin is before me uh, eternally, perpetually and between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, he should, he should fast every day. This is his idea of being mechil on fast days, because there's no real Makar and Shast, and because he's a great Talmud Chacham, and he's done a lot of chuva as it is. Again, they were a good deal tougher than we were, and they had a much more rigorous attitude toward chuva uh, toward in general. One uh, additional point he makes is, this fellow is apparently wealthy as well, he says he can give a lot of tzedakah, and he says there is a system where you can count. Uh, we, we, There's a system where you can count some some, some 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 of the money that you give toward fast days. This is a tricky topic. On the one hand, the, the Christians got in so much trouble, the Havdil, for selling indulgences. A, a rich person could pay for kapara for his zaviris. And the poor saw this as a corrupt system. They saw they, they, they can get out jail free because they're rich and we have to suffer. This is this is obviously uh, con- considered terribly unfair. He's not saying the guy can skip his chuva entirely by giving tzedakah, but he's saying that some of these, the, the full-blown chuva samishko, of these endless fasts, he says, if he gives a lot of tzedakah, he says, he gives them an accounting of how much tzedakah per fast day, he says. That's a good idea if he can do that without his wife getting upset at spending all this money, he says. But, uh, but still, even if he does, even if he does uh, buy off the extra fast day the full Tshuva Samishko, but he certainly should, should, should do the, the fasting that I prescribe, the more limited fasting be mechaper for, for his aver. so this was Tshuva Samishko, now Yehuda was a little bit skeptical because there's you know, no real source in Shas, all these regulations but Potr V'lo despite the fact that he was a Talmud Chacham and a real Balchuva, he still felt he had to uh, do all this and other postkim as well, we find in numerous other chuvas as well, the manslaughter chuvas, we find postkim often said that there's considerable grounds for leniency, it's not really the person's fault in some of these cases. Nevertheless, because they say the kadmonim took it very strictly, we'll say you know, 40 days of fasting and this and that, and they took, they took this pretty seriously, even in cases where the person wasn't entirely at fault, and even in cases where he had done tremendous chuva As it is, they, they still they still took tshuvas and mishkol quite seriously, and prescribed, uh, by our standards, certainly remarkably rigorous penances for the Balei Tshuva. Again, the, 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 the history of this is, is, is doubtless interesting, exactly how it started and how and when it ended. We don't really do this today, but this is a, uh, this is a fascinating chapter in the history of Chuva. I'll just close with discussing one other point raised by the Nod Bihuda. We mentioned a couple of times the, the one of the key themes of the Nod B'yohuda in this chuva is that even though fasting is good for tshuva, it's part of tshuva samishkal, it accompanies tshuva, but it's only ancillary, it's not the fundamental tshuva. How does he know that? So clearly that's what the Ram says, that's what the Gemara says, but he brings a, a fascinating argument that tshuva, is not strictly re- that tshuva does not strictly require fasting at all. He says, how do I know this? He says that, he raises an interesting question. He says, Beli Suffolk, it's axiomatic. We know this so with certainty that tshuva is mechaperes kapara gemura. Tshuva has no limits. chuva can completely atone for any of error. Dovrazam a first in the Torah, It's all over Tanach. He says b'shnei Talmudim, It's in the Bavli and the Rishali b'cholam and drashim. The Navi says b'shuv rashim ir that Hashem will wipe his wipe his account clean. and will not punish him kol chatos v'sherchatilotis keren lo. They will not be uh, laid at his door. He, nevertheless, he says, the halacha clearly is that when it comes to misas, bastin, when it comes to the, the misa bide adam, punishments bide adam, bastin does not take into account chuva. Whether it's a death row, con- death row conversion, a real conversion, a real chuva, no matter what kind of chuva a person does, bastin does not uh, commute his sentence because he's done chuva. That's not the way it works. Why not? Why does bastin not do that? So to gives a, a remarkable explanation for this. He says, in principle, since we know that Chuva provides complete atonement for sin, in principle, as a matter of fairness, he says, Chuva really should eliminate the penalty for the error. It really should. So why doesn't it? So he says it's essentially akasuv. Hashem wanted tshuva to have a Hashem wanted the punishment to basin to have a deterrent effect. And if if there is the possibility of chuva and that would erase the that would erase the person's uh, sentence, then basin could never really punish anybody because they'll never really know if someone did chuva. The guy will always say he did chuva and basin can refute that. So basin would never be able to impose a sentence and therefore the, the, the punishments would lose their deterrent effect. That only makes sense, he says, if we assume that chuva is believed. If chuva is fundamentally a simple verbal or internal, a verbal declaration or an internal for a state of mind, then good, everyone can say he did tshuva. Basin, can't, uh, have, Basin won't know otherwise. And therefore, he says, it'll be on she'atar. If, however, chuva required all these uh, substantial uh, penances and self-mortification, then what's the problem? And he, if Basin catches him before he does it, they'll execute him before he did all this chuva. Basin can know that he hasn't, he hasn't done the Chuva Zemishkel yet, that's possible to verify he says he says he says, if Chuva is Iker B'Chuva if it's essential, if it's uh, Sin non of Chuva, he says then in Achanami, the Basin will punish people if they haven't done the Chuva, if he hasn't done the shigufim, they'll punish him Gilgul Sheleg, that was another one of the more colorful ones they would roll in the snow, they would freeze themselves by rolling in the snow or another example, he says, is uh, another example of Sigufam is, this is a somewhat hair-raising one also, is to sit naked in the presence of bees. Expose yourself. People do that today. Uh, they call it uh, apia therapy or something, a- bee-sting bee therapy. It's, some people, it's a form of alternative medicine. They believe that the toxins of the bee stings... I'm sorry? Somebody's allergic, kill Yeah, it can actually kill you. So I, I, guess, I guess if you're doing it responsibly, you first... Uh, tested under controlled circumstances with appropriate antidotes nearby to make sure that you can tolerate it and then uh, yeah, but uh, he says anyone who doesn't do with and Mishkal they can kill him, Tanis also if they, they, they catch you right away before you do all the fast days they can kill you, so what's the problem the, 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 the punishment to Basin won't have lost their deterrence effect, typically the agent will report you and Basin will try you before you have a chance to chew a and Mishkal. So what's the problem? The, the the punishments will still retain their deterrent effect. It must be that you, the chuva is sufficient when you do it belave These things are all secondary to chuva, but chuva itself is accomplished by when you do it belave And therefore, if you if you uh, if, if if we would if we would accept chuva, which really we should in principle he says if we would accept chuva, basin can never kill anybody because the person will always say he did tshuva, and then and then the punishments of the basin would lose their deterrent effect. The Mabit says something... my Mabit also deals with this question <laughs> centuries earlier. The Mabit, in his say for Beis Elokim, says, more simply, first of all, he says, basin simply doesn't know. It's not because chuva loses its certain effects. It's not exeris akasim. It's just that basin, do- basin doesn't know if a person did chuva. He does say something similar, that basin simply doesn't know. So, it's not that it's exeris akasim, we have to kill you even though you did chuva because... <laughs> otherwise because otherwise it will never kill anybody, it just simply basin does not know if you did chuva and therefore basin can't kill you. Also which also applies like implies like in Audibuda that Chuvas and Mishkal is not uh, is is not part of Chuva because otherwise sometimes Basin will know that uh, that you didn't do chuva. He's he's adding that even in a case even that he's adding that even in a case where even if we assume that Chuvas and Mishkal is not part of Chuva, he presumably means and all you need is the, the elements of Chuva. So we Why do you kill him? They're, 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 so that, still, why do you kill him? Maybe it's, it's that that uh, he says, even if tshuva mishkol is not part of it, he says, or not even. Since tshuva mishkol is not part of Chuva, then he he doesn't want to say it's exeris akasim. Or or basin has to kill you because otherwise there will be no deterrence to Baisin. He he said he just says the reason is Basin doesn't know it. Basin doesn't know they kill you. It's a little hard to understand. He says. If Basin doesn't know, then we should we should we should uh, we should exonerate him. The, the rule is always in the laws of Mises basin. If Basin has a suffix, any suffix that comes up is grounds for uh, not applying the death penalty. So if we really don't know whether he whether whether he did chuva or not, why don't we give him the benefit of the doubt and say he did do tshuva? If he's professing he did chuva and tshuva to is not is not essential. So the question is, what he says is simpler than the other but it's not fully it's, it's not fully uh, it's not it's, it's not so easy to understand. Self calls Sof, If uh, if it's a possibility, he did a valid tshuva. Why do we execute him? Okay, that's why the Red Huda gave his more complicated explanation. P- perhaps that the in a chinami misvara, maybe we shouldn't kill him. But then then but it's a because because otherwise, bason's misas basin would lose all its deterrent effect, and uh, and, and the Torah didn't want that. But Bit gives another reason as well why why we kill why we do have to punish somebody even after even after he does tshuva. He points out it's not just misa's basin; it's really Misa, It's really the punishment in the as well. The Gemara in Yoma says there are there are different chelke kapara, certain types of errors, relatively minor errors. Tshuva itself uh, is the end; that's all you need. He says, but other but there are other types of errors. It says tshuva is tola, and uh, misa's mechaper, yisurim is mechaper. So chel Hashem is the most serious. That, uh, that 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 nothing's until death. there other other things. Or other types of punishments that are, that there are other types of punishments that are uh, that, that that are machapara. But you need, you need punishments, he says. So the Mabit explains that that the, 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 that the idea is that it's true that in a certain sense, once a person does tshuva, like the Yude says, he has a kapara. The Gemara in Kedushin says. If a person performs kedushin and makes a tsnai, he says, "I'm marrying this woman. I'm mukaddish this woman." Al ni Tzadik, on condition that I'm a Tzadik. Even if he was a Russia, called Yamav, he was a, he was an inveterate Russia. He's mukaddishes because at least misafik. Maybe he did tshuva. Maybe he did tshuva. He certainly didn't do tshuva as a mishkol, and he, he hasn't he hasn't been punished. He hasn't had yisurim yet. Nevertheless. The first step is, once you've accepted tshuva, and, and the way the Mabit puts it, you've agreed that you deserve Yisurim, you'll accept Yisurim and Misa, even if they haven't come yet. Once you're cooperating with the process, you're called a bal tshuva, you're called a tzaddik, and the kedushin is kedushin. It's like a person who commits, who accepts responsibility, he accepts accountability, he accepts the consequences. At that point, he's called a tzaddik. That doesn't mean the consequences no longer come. It means that if you're refusing to accept the consequences, you're denying you did it. You're omega merdo, Then you're a Russian. If you if you if you accept that you're wrong and you accept that you need to be punished, at that point you're called a tzaddik. But the punishment is not forgiven, you're st- you still owe, you still owe, you still will will owe some kind of punishment. He says tshuva does not erase the need. He says he said chuva does not erase the need for punishment. That you're accepting that you will be punished. and You're called a tzaddik right now. But you still have to you still have to accept the punishment and you still will be punished, he says. That's why he says chuva is not Massaal like the onisha Basin or Misa's Bastin, because even after Chuva he says Unlike you know, the Behudu who says that that chuva completely eliminates the need for punishment, Mabit says, no, chuva means that while the punishment has yet to occur, you you get you get uh, you're called a tzaddik. I think, other, I think others say that the, the punishment will be mitigated, might be less than will happen to you otherwise, but chuva does not eliminate the need for punishment. Furthermore, he says, this other point we mentioned earlier, the patient doesn't know if you've done tshuva, so they have to punish you anyway. So we have at least three reasons why a person receives punishment even after he's done tshuva, both b'dinah Yishamayim and b'dinah adam. First, tshuva simply doesn't always erase the need for punishment. The person needs to be punished. He's called a tzaddik for, for cooperating for accepting that he's wrong, for accepting the punishment. He's called a tzaddik, but he still has to do his time, so to speak. He still has to receive the punishment. The second point is the Mabit's point and the Chida, that Basin, I believe the Chida as well, Basin simp, simply does not know whether his, whether his tshuva is honest and earnest or not. Again, a little hard to understand. If Basin doesn't know, why don't we give him the benefit of the doubt and not punish him? But that's what that's what they say. And the third point is Nehuda's point. He, he gives a somewhat uh, more roundabout argument, he says that you're right. In principle, tshuva is chuva is chuva uh, is completely effective. Tshuva should really eliminate the need for punishment by Baston However, since if that would be the case, Baston would never be able to punish anybody because they'll never know if a person did tshuva. Like we said before, he would get the benefit of the doubt, and then the punishment of to the Torah would lose their deterrent value. Therefore, the Torah had to say the Torah has to write zera that, uh, that 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 basin punishes people even that 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 the base the base it's clearly the case the basin punishes people even after they have done even after they've done a proper truth